talk, so I'm just going to preach till whenever I feel like it. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. My wife read it this morning. It is what we celebrate today, and that is when the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound. Say a sound. From where? As of a rushing mighty wind. It's amazing. People will say, well, that's speaking in tongues, Holy Ghost stuff is demonic. Really, the Bible says the sound came from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all, all, not most, not some, every single person who was there that wanted it, that needed it, that desired it, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And how did they know they received the Holy Ghost? They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Now, in this day and age, people might say, you still believe that stuff? That was just for them. Show me in Scripture where it says it was just for them and no longer for us. Show me in Scripture where signs, wonders, and miracles were just for them and no longer for us. We, as a Pentecostal church, we believe when we say I'm Pentecostal, that is not just a religion. That is me saying that I still adhere and believe on this experience that happened on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. That what we celebrate today, that they had happened, still happens today. You see, because God created each of us, body, soul, and spirit, and there is a ton of focus on the body. People will talk all about that diet, exercise, all these things. There's tons of focus. People can see that, touch that, even aim to change the way that that looks and operates. And whether you realize it or not, there's an aching void in the soul of humankind, it's accompanied by an insatiable hunger for the supernatural. People today want to experience things that they can't explain, can't see, can't understand. The supernatural realm, that if people desire that. And so God has created you in such a way that unless you have the fullness of his spirit operating in your life, you are never really full or truly fulfilled. And really the Bible, that's why the Bible calls us pilgrims in this world. There is nothing that we can get, obtain, receive, live in, drive that will ever make us feel 100% fulfilled like we've arrived and I want nothing more. There's always going to be something inside of you that wants something more. The only thing that will truly fulfill you eternally is when you have the presence and spirit and power of God in your life. And Pentecost in the Bible, it started long before our opening text. I know we say New Testament, the New Testament church was born in the book of Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. God poured out his spirit upon all flesh. But, but really, Pentecost, it was long before that because Pentecost means 50. 
Seven weeks plus one day. It commemorated in the Old Testament the end of the wheat harvest and the giving of the law. The day of Pentecost was the late spring Thanksgiving for the first harvest. And it was a feast that we read about all throughout the Old Testament. Pentecost was seven weeks after Passover. Yet for us today, Pentecost is no longer just an Old Testament law or an Old Testament festival celebrating a harvest. We celebrate Pentecost as an experience that took place 50 days or seven weeks plus one day after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this experience, it's recorded in our opening text, the one that, well, my wife read and then I read. This is crucial, and it's a critical passage of Scripture because it introduces us to the birth of the New Testament church the way we know it and the way that Scripture knows it throughout the Bible. And something was shifting as God was pouring out His Spirit. Pentecost was no longer a feast or a festival in the Old Testament that started with Moses, but it was now a time that was commemorating the birth of the New Testament church, the grace of God, and the outpouring of this wonderful and amazing Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, same thing, same reference. And this particular day in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it was not just a spur-of-the-moment thing like that the preacher just got up and hyped them up and they just responded and it was all hype. It was way more than that, okay? After he had risen from the dead, Jesus tells his followers to do, he says, here's what I'm going to do and here's my plan and here's what I want you to do. In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart Jerusalem. You see, he had just risen from the dead. They were kind of freaked out. What are we going to do? You're going away. And he says to them, don't leave Jerusalem. I want you to stay here because the, fe the festival, the feast of Pentecost is coming. And what happens at that point is people from all over the different nations surrounding would converge upon Jerusalem and they would celebrate the feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Jesus says, listen, it's going to be more than a feast. I want you to wait here in Jerusalem because, he says, wait for the promise of the Father, which saith, you have heard of me. Meaning, I have been telling you about the comforter, the promise, the spirit. And now it's getting ready to have everything that you've been hearing me preach about, everything that you've been looking for. Wait here in this city, and I'm getting ready to give it to you. And so, he says, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And so, they're going, okay, you're leaving. We were following you, but you're telling us to wait here now because you told us you would never leave us, forsake us. You would never leave us comfortless. You would come to us, that you would give us your spirit, that you, are, you, you, you let us know all these things. And so, now we're supposed to wait in this city. And you're going to give us what we have been looking for and waiting for. And he says to them, you are going to get the Holy Ghost. Now they need to believe that and they needed to want that. It's interesting as he ascends to heaven, he ascends in front of more than 500, 512 people and only 120 are in the upper room. Why was that? Were they busy? Were they not interested? Were they say, this is not for me? Anybody who wants what God has will receive what God has if you're hungry for it. 
Religious leaders accused Jesus and eventually put him to death because they said, you're defiling, you're breaking the law of Moses that we esteem highly. The law to them represented covenant. It was a document that had been given to their forefathers. You know, if we could compare it to anything, it's like the Declaration of Independence. And somebody starts to knock the Declaration of Independence, I'm going to get ticked off because I'm like, that is, a, 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 that is something that our forefathers fought for. And I'm, I'm patriot. I don't agree with every single thing that goes on in my country, but I still love the United States of America. And so, and this is even much more than the Declaration of Independence, but Jesus, he wasn't defiling the law. He was here to fulfill it. The law pointed to the need for a Savior, and that's exactly who Jesus Christ was and is, our Savior. And the Old Testament prophets even touched on on this very day, this day in the book of Acts, this day of Pentecost. Jeremiah Just years earlier, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah in 31, 33, he says, this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Notice it was just for Israel at first. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law, because the law was important, but he says, after those days, not today, he says, but I'm talking about a later date, I'm going to put my law on their inward parts and write it in their hearts. How do you write the law in their hearts? See, the law was all these 613 commands about about why they need a savior, what they need to do. And he says, listen, I'm not going to just be a God who's into festivals and and, and rules on a rock. He says, I'm actually going to put my law deep within the person themselves. And I will be their God and they will be my people. And in the New Testament writer of Hebrews made this connection with the, what the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said. Look at Hebrews 10, 16, and 17. It says, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. Now, the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament is looking back to what was written by Jeremiah in the Old Testament. And he's saying, hey... I'm going to tell you, this is the covenant. He he says, let's look back to what he said. This is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts and their minds. I will write them. So the New Testament writer is saying, as he starts to write, he says, the Holy Ghost is the witness. And he's connecting what the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said to the fact that the Holy Ghost is the fulfillment of what Jeremiah just said. This is not like a new age thing or uh, just our denominational thing. This is all Bible when you look at it and study it. And so the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit is the witness to this covenant. God did put his law inside of us. And I want you to see and know something today. These apostles that Jesus Christ, he handpicked them. He trained them. He mentored them. He discipled them. He empowered them. He said, Peter, what you bind on this earth, I'm going to bind. What you bind, what you loose, I'm going to loose. He says, you have the keys to the kingdom and he and he empowers Peter and so that's why for me when I read the book of Acts and in some churches in our day and age might say well that's a historical book we don't have to follow that anymore who in the world gave you the authority to write off what we do or do not follow when the book of Acts is more than a historical book it's also a theological book I'm going to read the book called the Acts of the Apostles because I want to see 
the people who Jesus Christ handpicked, trained, empowered, gave authority to, how did they go out? What did they preach? What was the signs? What was the method? What was the message? Because guess what? I want to preach that same message because it's what he, it's what he empowered them to do. So I'm not going to change that message. I'm going to preach what he told them to preach and what he said. That's why when I say I'm apostolic, it's not a religious thing. It's simply me saying, I follow the acts of the apostles. I am aligning with the apostolic church. So, uh, you know, in the past years, you had the reformation and people would say, are you guys reformationists? Are you looking to reform different parts of the various churches? I'm not looking to reform anything. I'm a restorationist. I want to restore. I'm going back before the reformation. I want to restore what the first century church had. And so after this initial outpouring of the Spirit, Peter stands up, the guy that was uh, denying Christ and saying, I don't know the man. Now he's filled with the Holy Ghost. Now he has the Spirit inside of him. Something changed in Peter. He stands up with the 11, and he begins to say, men and brethren, I got a message for you because you just heard us speak in tongues, and y'all are wondering if we're drunk. We're not drunk like you think we're drunk. And he, start, and he starts to just speak to them, and, and Acts 2 records this message. And they were all amazed. They were in doubt, saying, what meaneth this? Others were making fun of him. You're full of new wine. You're drunk. Peter stands up, lifts up his voice, and says, you men of Judea, all that dwell in Jerusalem. Wow, because Peter, it's like Jesus knew what was going to happen. Because it was a strategic time in history that they were all in Jerusalem from all different nations and kindred and tongue. And they were all in Jerusalem. And Jesus has the outpouring of his spirit happen right here in Jerusalem at this time on this day. So that all those people who are getting ready to experience the outpouring of the spirit are now going to go back to their countries and their cities and their towns and their villages and say, I was just in Jerusalem for Pentecost, and I thought it was going to be a feast. It ended up being way more than a feast. My life has changed. Let me tell you about the man Peter that stood up and began to preach a message that wasn't just content and delivery, but I experienced it personally. You know, I'll tell you right now, you're living in 2022. People got all kinds of different beliefs about everything. Just look on Facebook. Everybody's got opinions about everything. All right? People are not looking for just your content, your religious knowledge. They don't care if you can quote the 66 chapters and 66 books, if you can reference them in order, if you can memorize scripture and quote it to them. They, if you can look at them and say, you're a sinner, you need to come to church. People are not interested in any of that. But what they are interested in is this. Why do you do what you do? Why do you live the way that you live? How do you have the power and the joy and the peace that you have? Because I want what you have. I don't care all about the book knowledge. I don't care what you can quote me. But when I see you carry yourself the way that you carry yourself, I want something that you've got. And you know what? 
when there are signs, wonders, and miracles in this building and people's lives are being changed and there's hope for marriages and hope for finances and hope for health and lives are being changed, you don't need to do advertising outside these four walls because people are going, are you hearing about that church on Nashua Road? I keep hearing about people's lives being changed and marriages being restored and I hear about uh, uh, cancer just falling away and blind eyes being opened and I, I just, I got to go there and check that out. But the only way that that kind of stuff happens, and thank God for musicians and singers and technology and preaching, but the only way that that happens is not by lights and, and suits and cameras and lights and, and chairs and, and nice carpet and beautiful facilities. The only way that that happens is by the Spirit of Almighty God. When God enters into a building in a Spirit-filled believer says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk in the name of Jesus open your eyes in the name of Jesus thy sins be forgiven that is when the spirit of God gets into a place that's where great things happen and Peter stands up and he says these aren't drunk and he says in verse 16 a crucial turning point he says but this is that say that with me this is that but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, that's interesting because I've come in contact with people who have religious discussion. And they say to me, Joel was not talking about the outpouring of the Spirit. And I'm like, well, that's interesting because Joel, he says, in those days, I'll pour my Spirit upon all flesh. It seems like he's talking about his Spirit. <laughs> but let's just go ahead for a moment and go with your argument. You're not just saying I'm wrong or my denomination's wrong. You're saying the Apostle Peter's wrong. Because Peter was the one, from what I can see, makes the first correlation. He says, y'all are asking about us speaking in tongues. God just gave us his spirit. And I want to tell you, we're not drunk. But this, what you're questioning, what you just saw... This is that. That's Peter. Peter says, this is that. What? This is, we just spoke in tongues. Is that, Joel prophesied that one day, not today when he wrote it. He wrote to a people in the Old Testament who are still under the law. But he says, this is that. Joel said, one day, God is going to pour out his spirit. Upon who? All flesh. Right now, it's just in Israel. But if you, it, Peter and those guys, they were pretty pumped. Like, hey, we're pretty special. We're getting the Holy Ghost here. It's in Jerusalem. But God knew that's just the starting point. It's not going to stay just a Jewish thing. And I'm thankful for that. And he says, this is that which was spoken. And he begins to quote Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters. That was a taboo thing. Women weren't even coming into the places of worship yet. Joel says, oh, I'm telling you, I see a day when God is going to pour out his spirit, not just on Jews, not just on males, but on 
all flesh, including males and females, upon your sons and your daughters, your young men will see dreams, your old men will see vision, and upon my servants, even the servants and my handmaidens, I'm going to pour out my spirit uh, uh, in, in those days, and they're going to prophesy. He starts prophesying about this coming day where God's going to do this. And Peter says, this is that. <laughs> See, it was Peter who connected these two. And look at other Old Testament prophets. Uh, Joel said that. And then Isaiah says, with stammering lips and another tongue, I'm going to speak to my people. And, and then Paul, he's not even a Christian, okay? On the day of Pentecost, Paul's, Paul is, he is, not, he is not there. He's not worshiping. Now, Paul is very, very zealous for religious law. and old, He's not like some heathen backslider. No, he, Paul, Paul thought he was doing right. He was passionate for the law. He was willing to kill people who would stand against it. I love this. You know what? Some of the people that you look at in other churches, other denominations, don't ever look at that person like they're the enemy. That's insane. There are people that are great and godly people today who gathered this morning all across Liberty in the greater, greater Kansas City area, and they walked into churches believing, I'm doing what is right. I love God. I want to serve God. I believe that God has a greater revelation and a greater spiritual experience for some people that are sitting in churches across the greater Kansas City area. That does not, that's me, not me, hum, uh, it's not me getting up saying I'm better than someone, we're better than someone. No, that is, I believe Paul was a great man of God according to the law and what he was trying to do. He was zealously even killing people. We go, well, how's he a great man of God? That's crazy. According to what he was doing for what he believed in, he thought he was doing right. It wasn't right. But when God got a hold of him, he became the greatest church planter in the history of the world. So when you have people that are going to other churches that believe different things than you, I truly believe that if someone will open up and see in the word of God what I'm preaching and see, wow, okay, God has this plan for me. I've never seen this. I can't tell you how many times I've taught Bible studies where I let people, instead of them just listening to what someone else says, they open scripture up for themselves and they see. That's what the Old Testament says. That's what the New Testament says. Wow, I've never seen this before. I can't tell you how many times people have sat in Bible studies with me and said, how come I've never heard this before? I've never seen this before, and now I'm seeing it with my own eyes right here, scripture, line, and verse. And those people will step into waters of baptism, and they will take on the name of Jesus Christ. They will raise their hands in repentance. They will be filled with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking to other tongues. They will live a holy, separated, sanctified life. They will do these things because they have a hunger for God. So don't ever think that someone, oh, God will never reach them. And they, No, no, no. God is working on hearts, minds, and souls right now of people all over the greater kingdom. Kansas City area. People who are saying, I'm a good person, but I want something more. I want something deeper. There's something that I, I, I there's got to be more than just this. And so, Paul wasn't even a Christian. But look what Paul writes later to the Corinthian church that he helped found, found and plant. And what he writes is exactly in line with the Old Testament prophets, what took place on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, and with everything Peter stood up and preached on the day that others, that in other days beyond that. 1 Corinthians 14, 21, it says, In the law it is written, 
with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak unto this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Peter is referencing Isaiah 28, 11. It's kind of how, no, you know, people say, how do you know what was included in the Bible and what was not included? One of the things, there's a list of about seven reasons why something would be canonized or, or viewed as a part of inspired text or not. That was one of them. Internal references among itself. So Isaiah is referenced several times by New Testament writers. So they could say, well, we know Isaiah is part of the canonized book because of all the times that men of God, that God handpicked, Jesus handpicked and empowered, how many times they referenced this Old Testament prophet. And so that's why other books, like books of the Apocrypha and stuff, they're going, eh, yeah, so this one's not going to be included. We can go more on that at some other time. But Peter and Paul now are both saying this is that. This is that. Paul writes to Corinthians and says, Isaiah prophesied about this. Guess what? What we're experiencing is that. And these are just a few of the prophetic scriptures that we see in the Old Testament. For the sake of time, I'm not even scratching the surface. I know I need to keep moving and we'll have to be out of the building at a certain time. But I will tell you, this is why we say at this church, go through a Bible study. If you're here, if you're in the sound of my voice, if you're watching online, you're not even in this area, we can do an online Bible study, okay? People here have done online Bible studies with people in other states and even other countries, okay? So we will do a Bible study with anyone, anywhere. And when I say Bible study, that is, like I say, one time a week, 45 minutes. It is, okay, let's look at what does the word of God say? I don't want to care. I don't want to talk about what the, the priest, the pope, the bishop, the pastor, the monk. I don't want to talk about all, any of them right now. I just want to see what is, what does thus, thus saith the Lord. All right, if, if, if baptism, some people, they say it's for infants. Some say it's for adults. Some sprinkle water. Some put people underneath the water. Some say in the title of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Others say in the name of Jesus Christ. Which one is it? The Bible says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So, okay, what is the way that God intended it for it, it to be? Well, let's not talk about what Lutherans or Catholics or Pentecostals or, or Baptists, let's not talk about what they believe. Let's open up Scripture and see in the book of Acts of the Apostles how did they do it. Let's read that. Because if that's the way they did it, then that's the way that I want to do it. And that's not derogatory to anybody who does it different. It's just, I am going to do it the way they did it. Jesus Christ himself, by the way, in Matthew 3, 16, came straightway up out of the water. That settles it. But we see throughout the Old Testament, there were prophecies that God would begin pouring out his spirit, that God, this Old Testament dwelling between the wings of the cherubims and inside a temple, now he wanted something different. Paul experienced this, and then he turns and writes about this in 1 Corinthians six nineteen. He says, know ye not your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm not dwelling, he, God says, I'm not dwelling in wings of cherubims or in temples anymore. I want to dwell with my people. In the beginning, I would walk with Adam and Eve. And then I said, make me a tabernacle. And then make me a temple. And, and, and then I walked among you as a human man. But each with each progressive step, I got closer and closer to the point that he says, now I'm not going to just dwell in a building. I want you to be my house. I want your body to be the place where I dwell. So 
I can always be with you. And why not just so you can speak in tongues and say, no, so that my spirit is going to equip you and prepare you as you walk this daily walk and this daily journey. Because the ultimate goal is that my spirit would lead you into a place of commitment and consecration so that one day when the trumpet sounds, I will come back for my people and I will look for my believers and I, I will look for people that I've placed my spirit inside because I don't want to just walk in a garden. I don't want to just sit between the wings of the cherubim. I don't just want to walk among you as a human being and I don't even want to just dwell in you as a spirit. I want you to be with me in eternity forever and ever and ever and ever. And that is the ultimate reason he created us in the first place. This was always God's plan. He wanted to dwell with his people. He wanted to restore broken relationship that he once had with Adam and Eve in the garden. And he chose to do it by filling us with his very own spirit. And then he even gave us evidence that we know. That'd be a terrible thing to leave a service and go, I think, I'm not sure, did I? I mean, I, 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 I'm, I don't know, you know? And so in some places, someone will read a, a sinner's prayer. Or they'll say, I accept him. And you walk out and go... There it, there it is. I signed on the dotted line. I checked the box. I did what they told me to do. But God has something far greater than just you accept him. I just pray he accepts me, okay? I'm not just walking around, I'll accept you today. No, no, no. I, I pray he accepts me, and he has. He died on a cross for me. And so he wants to give you a supernatural, powerful experience that when you will come to find a place and begin to repent of your sins and begin to worship God, if you will just allow him, he, if you just begin to worship him, he's going to fill you with his spirit. And one of the ways he does that is you will begin to speak in other tongues as the spirit gives you the utterance. Notice it says the spirit gives you the utterance. So you're not going to get the spirit of God going like this. I'm waiting. He's not doing nothing. No. As I begin to worship him, how did they know the very first time that they received the Holy Ghost? They heard them speak with tongues. You will never receive the Holy Spirit of God with your mouth closed. Holy Spirit of God will move on you, but you will not receive it according to what he lays out in the book of Acts with my mouth closed. Because every time that someone received the Holy Ghost, book of Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, every single time they heard them speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. So there is a cry. There is a, a, a something you will not understand. It will not be in your words. And now I know today there are people that will be naysayers. You believe that? That's crazy. That's insane. There's a lot of insane things going on in this world today. Receiving the Holy Ghost is not one of them. I am thankful that he gave us evidence of which to look for so that when I walk out of this place, I can say, my Lord, that was incredible. I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I now have the spirit of almighty God dwelling inside of me. You see, when the New Testament church began on the day of Pentecost, the disciples spoke with other tongues. Guess what? Mary, the mother of Jesus, spoke with other tongues. But you look at throughout scripture, and I wish I could sit and go through every example. Get in a Bible study. See me today. See Pastor Foster today. Tall guy here playing the guitar. See him. We'll get you hooked up in a Bible study. Simon the sorcerer. He observed evidence when, when the Samaritans started receiving the Holy Ghost, and he was a sorcerer in that area. He started trying to buy. Now, some naysayers will say yes, but it never says they spoke in tongues in Acts 8. Boom, gotcha. Really? 
then why did the sorcerer start walking up and trying to buy what, he, what they were doing? He obviously saw and heard something that was going on that goes, what just happened right there? Because I want what you have. Paul had this experience in Acts 9, and then with tongues, he says, he says in, in 1 Corinthians, I thank God I speak in tongues more than any of you. Believers who had only experienced John's baptism in Acts 19, he walks up and says, hey, is it, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they're like, we ain't even heard about a Holy Ghost. What are you talking about? He says, well, whose baptism were you baptized unto? And they said, John's baptism. They're probably a little proud right there. And he said, yeah, but John, it was a valid point for a moment, but John baptized unto repentance. There was no name. There was no one who shed their blood. There was nothing that was a life-changing, life-saving name. Can I tell you about a man, Jesus Christ, who is God manifest in flesh, who died on a cross? And guess what? If you're here today and you have been baptized, but you have never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and placed down in water like Jesus himself was. And the, the root word of the Greek word baptism, bapto, it means immerse, plunge, processing liquid, putting down into. This is why we put that here. It would be a lot more convenient to do it in a different way, okay, than to try to keep this water clean and run the pump and keep it heated and put the chlorine in it. It would be way easier to use a bottle of water. But I won't do that because the way they did it in the book of Acts, the way Jesus did it, the word, Greek word for, root word for baptism, bapto, the way, what that means is to be immersed. And so today, if you say, well, I've been baptized, but I wasn't baptized in the name of Jesus. I was not baptized like that. Guess what they did in Acts 19? They were all re-baptized. Even though it was John the Baptist, they said, no, 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 I want the name. I want what you're talking talking about. I want to have my sins washed away. And when you read the 19th chapter of Acts, they were all not only baptized in the name of Jesus, but guess what? They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And then you roll into Acts chapter 10, and I'm not going to be much longer, but Acts chapter 10, Cornelius's household, they were Gentiles. And all of a sudden what happens is they start speaking in other tongues and they start getting the Holy Ghost. And guess what? Now there's some murmurs in Jerusalem. Y'all better go check out what's going on over there because we got non-Jewish people getting the Holy Ghost. I thought this wasn't for them. I don't know if this is a legit thing. We better go check it out. I'm all for structure in the church. Go ahead. Go check it out. There wouldn't even be Gentile Christians, meaning non-Jewish Christians, if it wasn't for speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues opened the door for Gentile Christians. Let me explain why. Truly, there's, this is the only reason the Jews led us in the church. Acts chapter 10, 44, while Peter yet spoke these words. He's preaching. He's teaching. He had just gotten out of gotten out of prison, gotten out of jail, goes into Cornelius' house. He's impressed. Like, wow, this is a guy that's amazing. And, and so he starts, he starts preaching. While Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them that heard the word. And they of the circumcision, who's that? That's the Jewish people. They're astonished. Wait. Did you just hear that? 
Mark speaking in tongues. I just heard Abigail speaking in tongues. Like, I'm a Jew. They're Gentiles. What just happened here? They're shocked. They're astonished. They're going, uh, I just heard, I just heard them speak in tongues. Because when you jump down, it says, for they heard them speak in tongues and magnify God. If that does not happen, there is not a Gentile Christian. Because they could argue about all the things about the clothing and the dietary laws and all these things. But what you could not argue with was they just got the Holy Ghost like I got the Holy Ghost. And so Peter stands up and I honestly, I'm not there. I, I, can't, I can't read into the Bible, but I, I try to imagine. It does not seem like Peter jumps up and is like, Woo! Somebody get on the organ. <laughs> Peter's kind of like, I just was preaching. And while I was preaching, they started speaking in tongues. I don't think he intended that. <laughs> and he's like, uh, looks at, the, you know, the, they have the circumcision. So there's obviously disciples, other Jewish believers and leaders there. And he's like, uh, can, um, verse 47, can, uh, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized i mean I, he got up on the acts chapter 238 and they said what are we supposed to do and he said repent be baptized in the name of jesus for the remission of your sins jesus christ for the remission of your sins and you're gonna get the holy ghost so now all of a sudden it's flipping around it doesn't matter you got to repent first but it doesn't matter if you get baptized first get the holy ghost first or you get baptized in the holy ghost or it doesn't matter as long as you repent and so peter's like um well i've been preaching this message they got the Holy Ghost. We all heard it. I guess, should we baptize them now too? I don't know how you read that, but I'm kind of like, I don't really read it. Like he's like pumped. He's kind of like torn. Ah, this is the first time this happened. I got no precedent. Is everyone at the council going to be all right with this? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. What is the name of the Lord? Jesus. And then he prayed with they, him to tarry certain days because you don't just dip somebody in the water and leave them. Discipleship is a process. I believe today that God still wants you to be baptized in his name. He wants to wash away your sins and he wants to fill you with his spirit. There's no doubt. There's nothing... Every other book. The book, you read the books. Paul, he brings his letters to church. He says, salute them. Greet one another with the holy kiss. Say hello. I miss you. I hope to see you soon. There's, there's benediction. There's closing. Book of Acts, boom, just stops. Why is that? Because we're still the book of Acts. We're still the book of Acts. It never, it never closes. It never wraps up. We still, we are Acts 29. Acts ends at Acts 28. We're Acts 29. There's, there's no ending because it's a continuation because everything he had for them, he has for you. And so, you, let me say this. You don't receive the Holy Ghost through your head. You receive it through your heart, meaning you have to be hungry for it. A study several years ago by researchers at the University of Pennsylvania found that there may be a neurological parallel between what worshipers experience and when they speak in tongues and what transpires physiologically in the brain.
Their study is titled The Measurement of Regional Cerebral Blood Flow During Glossolalia, which is another fancy way of saying speaking in tongues. A preliminary spec study. Co-authors Nancy uh, Wintering, Donna Morgan, Mark Waldman. Scientists took brain images from worshipers as they were speaking in tongues and as they were singing. And comparing the two images, the researchers discovered that the frontal lobes, the willful thinking part of the brain, were quiet, as were the language centers. Scans of people practicing meditation or participating in other spiritual uh, practices differed sharply. Radiology investigators observed increased or decreased brain activity by measuring regional cerebral blood flow with SPECT, which is single photon emission computed tomography. I'm trying to read this because obviously, you know, I'm not, smart, that, I'm not this smart. And so while the subjects were speaking in tongues, there were literally parts of the brain that were being, that were being pictured and studied. Folks, not only does something supernatural change, not only does something change in soul and spirit, but as you are speaking in tongues and you are drawing close to God and he's filling you with his spirit, there are literal physical and mental changes that take place when you and I respond to the presence and the power of God. First, it was 120 people about 2,000 years ago, and they thought they were drunk. People today, you find out you speak in tongues, they might still say you're crazy. I find that interesting. He's like, man, y'all crazy. I'm going out to get drunk. <laughs> Next, it was, then there was 3,000, 5,000 people. I just, it kept growing. But then 60 people. About 150 years ago, something like that, 130 years ago, 54th or whatever it is, in a decrepit old building in 312 Azusa Street in an industrial part of Los Angeles. First in 1901 in Topeka, Kansas, but then it was in Los Angeles in mid-May 1906. The revival they had run nonstop in day in and day out, day out with, with just 24-hour prayer meetings. There's a group of people that were like, there's got to be more. Because the outpouring of the Spirit in the United States of America had pretty much stopped, except for, it, not, it, it hadn't stopped, but the wide stream, the mainstream understanding of it. You, there, was, there were sects of, of, of different religious communities that were experiencing it. But there was a group in Los Angeles that was like, there's got to be something more. And they read these scriptures and they were like, I want this. People from a diversity of backgrounds came together. And anywhere from 300 to 1,500 people would try to fit in a small building in an industrial part of Los Angeles. Men, women, children, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, rich, poor, illiterate, educated, they all came together. People of all ages flocked to Los Angeles with both skepticism and with a desire to participate. Worship at 312 Azusa Street was frequent and spontaneous with serving services going almost all around the clock. The LA Times, and I quote this, I'm reading from their story in 1906. 
Meetings are held in a tumble-down shack on Azusa Street, and the devotees of the weird doctrine practice the most fanatical rites, preach the wildest theories, and work themselves into a state of mad excitement in their particular in their peculiar zeal. The night is made hideous in the neighborhood by the howlings of the worshipers who spend hours swaying back and forth in a nerve-wracking attitude of prayer and supplication. They claim to have the gift of tongues and be able to understand this babble. This, there is a disgraceful intermingling of races. They cry and make howling noises all day into the night. They run, jump, shake all over, shout to the top of their voice, spin around in circles, fall on sawdust, blanketed floor, jerking, kicking, and rolling all over it. Some of them pass out and do not move for hours like they were dead. These people appear to be mad, mentally deranged, or under a spell. They claim to be filled with the Spirit. They have a one-eyed, illiterate Negro as their preacher who stays on his knees much of the time with his head hidden between the wooden milk crates. He doesn't talk very much at times as he can be heard shouting, Repent! And he's supposed to be running the thing. They repeatedly sing the song, The Comforter Has Come. That's what was written in the L.A. Times about Azusa Street in 1906. But little could subscribers of the L.A. Times have guessed and what would be said for years to come. Historians would say the Azusa Street revival gave birth to modern Pentecostalism and became the most significant revival of the 20th century in terms of world evangelism. And here we are today in 2022 with a group of people who are Asian, black, white, Hispanic, men, women, children, gathering together, singing, jumping, raising hands, lifting voices, repenting of sins, and what was birthed way back in the book of, in the Old Testament, rolled into the book of Acts chapter 2, put into the New Testament, went again and was reborn in Topeka, Kansas, and in, in Azusa Street in L.A. Here we are in Liberty, Missouri, and all over the place. I just read about, what was that, honey? Was that Mexico? That 770-some people just received the gift of the Holy Ghost at one time. This was not just a New Testament. This literally just happened in the last 36 hours, okay? God is still pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh. And when Revelation says there's going to be a group around the throne of every, of every nation, every race, every kindred, every tongue, you might be here saying, English ain't my first language. Great, you're going to get the Holy Ghost. English is my first language. Great, you can get the Holy Ghost. Yeah, but but I'm Asian. Great, you'll get the Holy Ghost. But I'm black. Yeah, you're going to get the Holy Ghost. Well, I'm white. You're going to get the Holy Ghost because we're one nation. We're one people. We're one kindred, one tongue. When God, you see, the way that God created the earth, there was one nation, one language, one tongue, but the Tower of Babel broke that apart when man's and women's pride came and, and, and the, the, the different languages were introduced to our world. But when God says, I'm going to put my spirit upon all flesh and they're going to begin to speak in tongues, what he is doing there is he is reversing that curse of sin and he's bringing everything back together. And even though we can still embrace the fact that 
You look different than me. You eat different than me. You dress different than me. And you might even have a different language than I do. But when it comes to the spiritual sense, we become one family, one body, as we begin to speak one language. And that one language is not English or Spanish or Swahili or Arabic. It's not, it's not any of that. No, it is speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives us the utterance. Oh, come on, someone. God's got something for you. God's got something for you. You don't have to leave here the same exact way you came in. When they began to preach, some of these people at Azusa Street, they left that place and they began to preach and they hadn't even experienced it themselves. William Seymour, that man that they talked about that was on his knees, thank God for William Seymour. He, he started preaching this message before he had even experienced it himself because he saw it in the word and he believed it and other people they kept preaching and then what happened is all of a sudden different people started getting the Holy Ghost and that person started speaking in tongues and that person and it just began to spread like a wave across North America and isn't that interesting that they came to one place from all over the world into one location and then went their separate ways and took what they experienced out man that sounds so familiar I feel like I've read that somewhere before oh yeah that's right the book of Acts 2 the day of Pentecost, when all the nations converged upon Jerusalem. And that same thing that consumed the apostles, the same thing that consumed those at Azusa Street can consume us today. He says, I've given you power to be a witness. See, a, a believed in Pentecost is good. But it's a received Pentecost that turns the world upside down. You can sit here and say, I go to a Pentecostal church. I pretty much believe what they say. Fine, welcome. I hope you keep worshiping. But until you have an experienced Pentecost, not just a believed Pentecost, you're not going to turn the world upside down. But when you have experienced it, and God's Spirit has a hold of you, you can do like Peter and go from, uh-oh, I'm afraid of everybody. I don't know the man, too. Men and brethren, I got a group gathered around. Let me preach a message to you. And I got a word for every one of you. God is manifest in the flesh. His name is Jesus. We put him to death on a cross. But he gave himself to pay a price for your sins. And I'll tell you right now what you need to do. You need to repent of your sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And he will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And in verse 39, he says, the promise is to you, your children. It's all that are far off, even as the many as the Lord our God will call. And guess what? We're in June of 2022, and God is still calling people. But as I close, you can sit here and listen to messages for enjoyment and get good, solid doctrine, but Pentecostal preaching following the book of Acts every time. They did not have delayed baptisms. Peter did not preach a message and said, so if you guys want to think about it, next quarter we're going to have our baptism Sunday. When these guys preached it in the New Testament, he would get done preaching. When Philip went to the eunuch in the, in, in the, in the desert, the eunuch said, there's water. What keeps me 
from getting baptized. And he said, nothing. Do you believe Jesus is who he says he is? And they both went down into the water and they were baptized. You know, you can sit here and say, I got to pray about it. You don't have to pray about anything that the Bible already makes clear. If you want the Holy Ghost, God will fill you with the Holy Ghost. If you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus, God will wash away your sins right now. God's getting ready right now to step into your life. You might have walked in here today, say, I was just coming to check it out, coming to visit. And I, I just wanted to hear a good sermon. I wanted something to make me feel good about my situation in my life. And that's fine. The greatest thing that will make you feel better is the Spirit of God living inside of you. And so today is the day of Pentecost. It is a day that's more than just a feast day. It's a day where we say, my goodness, if God poured his spirit upon Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Peter, James, Paul, Bartholomew, Andrew, and Phil, if he did it for them, and he still wants to do the exact same thing for me, absolutely, he sure does. And so I invite you right now to step out of that, that comfortable pew where you're grabbing onto the front right now and saying, man, there's something in me. There's something that's inside my body, that, that supernatural longing. You might be going, I know that this is powerful. I, I'm even kind of curious, but I'm scared because I've never done this before. I don't know what to expect. Listen, you don't have to be scared of nothing. God's a gentleman. He won't ever force himself on you. But if you will step out of that comfortable area and come to the front and raise both your hands in the air and begin to repent of your sins and begin to worship God, I'm telling you, he'll fill you with his Holy Spirit. He will wash you in the waters of baptism. Whatever you want today, you can have. Whatever it is that you desire, God will meet you here. It's just a matter of whether or not you want to have experience hearing, hearing a message or experiencing a message. That's up to you right now.